Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport for the ultimate review of this weekend's Premier League action. With me, former England, Leeds and City defender Danny Mills and Talk Sports football reporter and commentator Alex Crook. On this week's show, Eric sees red after lighting up the Emirates with a flash of his Rabona, but it's Spurs who pay the penalty in the end. Manchester City's relentless march continues after Fulham crushed at the cottage. United, meanwhile, established a nine-point cushion to fifth-place hammers after grinding out a victory at home. Leicester win again, but Chelsea, Everton, Spurs and Villa all drop points as the race for the top four turns into the final bend. Also, Saints sinning too regularly. Brighton scored twice. Surely West Brom and Sheffield United have started to plan for the championship now. All that and more on the podcast that throws strops like Hakim Ziyech, but has better timekeeping than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. It's the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello, this is Sam Matterface, and alongside me today is Danny Mills. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Good weekend of football. Yes, I, I hope you've enjoyed yourself. And Alex Crook is with us as well. Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, Another Manchester United win. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't great, was it? But um, some interesting results this weekend and I think some season-defining ones as well. Certainly the case of the game that I watched on Sunday morning, Brighton against Southampton. That was a huge win for the Seagulls. Yeah, we'll get to that and we'll talk about Leeds against Chelsea. Uh, Do you know Danny Mills was actually in the Leeds team the last time they beat Chelsea at Ellen Road in the Premier League? Um, They didn't win this weekend, but they probably should have done. Arsenal won despite the fact that they conceded quite possibly the best ever goal scored in a North London derby. Leeds United finally draw a match. It's the first time it's happened in 19 matches. The first time it's happened since the 22nd of November. But they have taken a point off Champions League chasing Chelsea. He's going to step up right-footed at Selhurst Park and he takes oh what a brilliant belting that is Luka Milivojevic with the goal for Crystal Palace and they lead it's Crystal Palace 1 West Brom nil. here is McNeil edge of the area neat turn goes for the goal what a goal it is from Dwight McNeil it's a wonderful strike for Burnley left-footed into the top corner he hasn't got a flawless penalty taking record but he smashed that one low to Ariola's right. And Manchester City have scored three times in the opening 15 minutes of this second half. Stones, Jesus, and now Aguero from the penalty spot. Here is Lalana. Lip of the centre circle for Brighton. Looks up, finds Welbeck. That's a good ball. And he sets up the Andrew Trossard. It's a wonderful Brighton goal. Two goals here. It's Leicester, five. Sheffield United nil. Kelechi Iheanacho's completed his hat-trick. A wonderful shot from 25 yards. Overall deserved the three points for sure. And Spurs have missed the opportunity to close the gap on the top four. It's finished here at the Emirates. Arsenal 2, Tottenham Hotspur 1. Well, what an afternoon at the Emirates. The most audacious goal I think I've seen this season, if not in my lifetime. I stood up and I was watching this in the dressing room at Dancing on Ice, shouting, oh my God, I've never seen a better goal in my life. Uh, The woodwork clattered several times in that match and Arsenal fight back for their first derby win since 2018. And all that with the backdrop of Aubameyang being disciplined 
and Kane only half fit. Danny, what did you make of it? I mean, the goal was just simply outstanding. It was deliberate. I mean, we, we've seen people do Rabonas before and all that. Sort of, and, and, you know, at the edge of the box or penalty, and it's a little bit lucky. I think it, it's, it's almost like he's aiming for that far corner. And it, yeah. it, it does it with such control. You know, normally we, we've all done it. We've all tried it in training, you know, and you've kicked your own legs and you've fallen over and you've missed the ball completely and everything. Sometimes it goes high, sometimes it goes low. You'd practice penalties doing whatever. But to do it with that amount of control and almost pick his spot in the corner. And I think his reaction said, I'm not surprised. When it, when, when, you know, when it goes in, it's not like he runs off and you know, the shirt comes off and he's wheeling it around his head like he scored the greatest ever goal. It's like, yeah, I've done it again. Do that, do that pretty often in training. I mean, he has done it before. I mean, there was a little bit of debate about whether or not it was as good as the Rabona that he scored against Asteras Tripolis in the Europa League. But this was in a North London derby and it went for about four legs and it went right in the corner. And according to InfoGoal, it had an XG rating of 0.06. Oh, don't, don't get which me is started like on that. <laughs> six occasions out of 100 that it would possibly go in. It was, a, it was really terrific, wasn't it? Yeah, sometimes, well, I think all the time, actually, when you assess the, the greatness of a goal, you have to take into account the, the occasion as well. As you say, a North London derby. I mean, ultimately, it was a North London derby that ended in defeat. So it's a footnote to an Arsenal win. But but what a footnote. Premier League goal of the season, undoubtedly. A contender for the Pushkas Award, certainly as well. It, it was a thing of beauty, but let's not demean it by talking about expected goals, Sam. Come on. It's just, it's just, it's just marvel. It's brilliant. Uh, Rabona. Rabona, by the way, do you know what it translates to? Go on. In Spanish, playing truant from school. Well, that probably summed up Lamella today because there was uh, <laughs> there was a bit of naughtiness in his performance, wasn't there? And there was a lot of naughtiness in that goal. It was naughty, naughty. Uh, all right. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, he was sent off in the end for two bookable uh, offences. Um, look, Arsenal were the better team in the game, to be honest with you, especially in the first half. They were much better than uh, than Tottenham Hotspur. And, and, and I think uh, Tottenham started far too timidly. Arsenal hit the woodwork twice, Son off after 20 minutes with a hamstring injury. Spurs took the lead, but it seemed a typical Mourinho approach to the game. Was, was that surprising to you, Danny, bearing in mind that they'd sort of benefited over the last few weeks from, from taking the handbrake off? No, not really. I mean, big games like that, Mourinho always reverts to type, doesn't he? And then you think, you know, they, they go ahead probably against the run of play. And it's like, right, OK, we just defend now. You know, we, we, we get to half time, get in at, at 1-0. And it's probably a different game in the, in the second half if that happens. Again, it's, it's what Tottenham do. It's what Mourinho's done time and time again. I think Son going off is, was a huge blow because the energy that he has, the leadership, those runs in behind, the way that he stretches the game at times... He is sensational. You know, he's one of the most consistent performers in the Premier League week in, week out. And I think losing him was a big blow for them. What did you think of the penalty? I don't think it's a penalty, if I'm honest. I looked at it first time, first time round. My, my lad called me and said, oh, have a look at this, have a look at this. And I went, well, I'm not, no, I don't think it is. And I saw one of the replays thought, well, I can sort of understand why it's given. And then having looked at it again, I went, no, you can't be giving penalties for that. You know, it's a yes, this contact. So, so, what does he do? Davinson Sanchez throws himself into the air and doesn't get anything on the ball, and he does make contact with Lacazette. Yeah, but Lacazette misses the ball as well. But that, so, why is that relevant? Well, because it's who who kicks who then? You know, well, if, if if I'm swinging my leg in, if I'm swinging my leg in, do so you direction, think that the, 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 the contact is engendered by Lacazette swinging no, I, the ball? I, well, it, it, if he, if he hits the ball, his leg doesn't carry on and go that way because he's completely off balance because he's missed the ball. It's a coming together. It's not a foul. It's not a penalty. Right. Sometimes you have to just say, it's a collision, play on. You know, this is what football is about, you know, at times. And, but because, you know, he swings that leg one way. The example would be, go back to the old school days when I was a fullback, clearing it down the line and the centre forward leaves, just leaves a straight leg there. Doesn't do anything. My follow-through goes straight into the bottom of his boot. Now, whose fault's that? Because technically, I've kicked the opponent, but I end up with a broken foot because of it. You know, and but I know that's taken it to the extreme, but that's the sort of that's the sort of line you're going. You're, you're going to get contact in games. You're going to get comings together. I don't. I don't think anybody wants that given as a penalty. Correct. Arsenal fans. I'm just Googling uh, to see which position Danny Mills played again. Um, <laughs> a, a defender def defends a, a bit of rashness from, from a defender. I thought it was a penalty. 
as you say, he got nothing of the ball. He clattered the player. Uh, whether Lacazette had control of the ball for me is irrelevant. I thought it was rank bad defending. He, he went rushing in. I thought it was a penalty. I haven't seen countless replays like Jose Mourinho clearly has, but for me, Jose blaming the defeat on that decision is papering over the cracks anyway, asking us to, to disbelieve what we watch with our own eyes. You've already said Arsenal were the better team throughout that game. Tottenham reverted to Mourinho type. They reverted to being cautious and being ultra defensive when actually they just let their attacking players attack. They would have probably won the game. Let's just talk about Mikel Arteta saying that the last 10 minutes was the worst 10 minutes of his life um, because they were defending yeah. Gabriel blocking from Sanchez, Kane hitting the post, Tottenham obviously, again, threw everything at it towards the end, despite the fact that if they'd done that a little bit earlier, it might have been a different game. Um, I don't think that really takes it away from the fact that Arsenal were the better team over the the majority of the 90 minutes. Let's, let's be clear about it. It's only their third win in the last 13 derbies. And it was really important, actually, in the context of the race of the top four, not for Arsenal, because they're not in it, but for everybody else who isn't Spurs above them. Um, I mean, you can't rule Spurs out of the top four as a result of it, but... I just thought they've won three games on the spin, Crook. All of those three games were against teams you'd expect them to beat. And as soon as they come up against someone who's a little bit tough, all of a sudden they wilt again. Yeah, maybe it checkers uh, belief that Gareth Bale is back to his very best as well because you have to look at the level of opposition that he was turning it on against, certainly in, in Europa League. I don't think you can take those teams too seriously. Burnley were really poor when he ran right in that game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yes, he was good in the second half against West Ham, but they still lost that day. This was the, the first big team, really, that he came up against since his rejuvenation, since his revival. I thought he was very poor. I thought he was deservedly taken off by Jose Mourinho. I didn't really understand uh, why he felt that he could react in the way he did. And you're right, it, it's another test against a big team, one of the big six historically a North London rival. Spurs have come up short and Jose Mourinho has now lost nine league games in a single season for the first time in his career. You say you can't count them out of the top four race. I think I probably would. Uh, Aubameyang disciplined, uh, but uh, on the bench, I'm not really sure I get it. I mean, I know no. that Nicole Arteta wouldn't be drawn on it afterwards. I, I didn't you? get that. I didn't get that, Sam. I watched both the interviews before the game. He's obviously, it's not that bad because he's on the bench. So it it's obviously a minor disgrace. I, I know, I'm guessing, putting two and two together, coming up with seven. He's late for a team meeting or he's late for whatever it is. You know, surely as Arteta, you just come out and say, he was late. This is the punishment end of. He's trying why to be the big, big man, isn't he? He's trying to be the big man. He's trying to wield his power. why the big secret? Well, yeah, because what... if you've gone so far and said he's been disciplined, you, I said this to you, Sam, privately, you may as well tell us why. Uh, otherwise, well, you people... actually, I suggested to you, I thought it was late. And you said, well, if it was just late, then you might as well just turn around and say it was late. So there's got to be more to it than that. And that's the issue, isn't it? If you don't come yeah. out and clarify the reason for him being disciplined, you open yourself up to all sorts of speculation. Mourinho, Sir Alex Ferguson, maybe Wenger back in the day would have gone, yeah, I've just made, decided to rest him, make a change, whatever it might be. To come out and say, yes, he was going to start... And then because of an, an incident, I decided to put him on the bench, but I'm not going to tell you what. Again, I, I think it's just a, a poor decision from Arteta. It's, it's a poor way to handle the media. You know, in those situations, just control it. And when he says, oh, we're going to deal with it internally, well, you can't now because you've just, <laughs> told, because you've just, told, because you've just told everybody externally <laughs> that there's a discipline issue with Aubameyang. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. 
There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Joao Cancelo on the right-hand side for Manchester City. Fed into the box. Ferran Torres! And it's kept out by the foot of Ariola. First clear chance of the evening. Bernardo Silva now on a jinky run into the box. Slalom his way into space and forcing a save from Ariola. Free kick which Joao Cancelo takes into a dangerous area. And it's turned in by John Stones. He's got another vital goal for Manchester City. Fulham have the ball with Cavaliero. Midway inside. His own half of the field, nowhere to go, runs into Anderson, it's bounced clear, Gabriel Jesus has a great chance, he's round the goalkeeper, and Manchester City go 2-0 up. Tosin lost the ball on the edge of his own penalty area, it was Ferran Torres who went on, and Tosin in his attempt to rectify his own mistake, stuck out a foot, tripped Ferran Torres. Edison is on the edge of the centre circle, but it's Sergio Aguero who's placed the ball for this penalty kick. He hasn't got a flawless penalty taking record, but he smashed that one low to Ariola's right. And Manchester City have scored three times in the opening 15 minutes of this second half. They've beaten Fulham here by three goals to nil, three goals scored by John Stones from a free kick, by Gabriel Chases from a mistake, by Sergio Aguero from the penalty spot. All three of those goals scored in a 13-minute spell early in this second half. Let's move on to Manchester City and Arteta's previous employers. Um, Fulham absolutely crushed 3-0 Saturday live on game day. I thought they played really well in the first half, Fulham. They were superb, high-pressing, loads of energy, effective defending, good goalkeeping. But they were undone by two, if not three, naive bits of defending in that second half, Crook. Yeah, and you can't do that. I mean, especially when you're Fulham and, and you're not scoring goals you you can't gift a team like Manchester City chances I actually gave Fulham a fighting chance when I saw the team sheet and I saw the number of players that um, Pep Guardiola had left out I mean it shows the strength of the Manchester City side if you, I mean that must be the best bench ever to have graced the Premier League I, I think we can say that um, but Fulham took the games them in the first half but I think for me the moment that summed up Fulham's problems and it wouldn't have counted anyway because he was offside Ademola Lookman uh, when he gets the opportunity to get a shot on goal, takes too many, ch- touches, too many touches yeah. and the chance has gone. Now, as I say, it would have been ruled out because he was offside. But that um, lack of cutting edge in the final third ultimately is why they're down there. I mean, defensively, yeah. they've, they've been playing quite well. And I suppose if you're going to make mistakes at the back, make them against Manchester City because you're probably going to lose anyway. So get them out of your system. It is that lack of ruthlessness in front of goal, which is a real problem for them. Something that isn't a problem and hasn't been a problem over his career for Sergio Aguero. But he has managed to get on the score sheet in the Premier League, Danny, for the first time since January last year, which will be a relief to him and a relief to everybody else as well. Because between now and the end of the season, they may need his goals as as they continue on. Not only this relentless march to the title, but their relentless march seemingly in all the other competitions too. Yeah, but let's put it into context. He's only started four games this season. Um, you know, but so he's been say, on the bench quite a lot, know, hasn't he? You know, but he's, he not, he's, but he's not come on. He's, he he's come, yeah, exactly. So it's like, we can't score if you're not on the pitch. Um, he's not been fit. You know, we, we know that with Sergio Aguero. He's been absolutely, he's, you know, he's a Manchester City legend. You know, we all go back to that goal against QPR. He will go down in, you know, Manchester or blue, the blue half of, of Manchester, well, even the red, because obviously it was, you know, they were winning the title um, at that stage. He will go down in history, you know, for that goal and, and everything he's done since then. He's been legendary, but injuries just look like they're going to cut his career pretty short at Manchester City. Can I ask you a serious question, Danny? Uh, there was a debate on, I think on Drive Time or maybe even on Jim White's show about the greatest ever foreign imports in the Premier League. And um, Trevor Sinclair put up Sergio Aguero, I think is his number one. Now, Thierry Henry would have an awful lot to say about that and probably Ronaldo as well. But my serious question to you, and bearing in mind it looks like Aguero's time at the Etihad is coming to an end this summer. Is he even Manchester City's best foreign import? Because for me, I know he scored that iconic goal and, and, and therefore his place in folklore is guaranteed. For me, David Silva and Vincent Company probably had as much of an impact, if not more, 
on Manchester City as Sergio Aguero. You could also throw in Yaya Toure. If you're just talking about on the pitch, Yaya Toure, that the way that he dragged City through you know, games in those early days. That first was, title. Yeah, I, mean, I remember was a game that, was at Newcastle it? where he came, uh, it was in the team and they, I think in the second half, about 15 minutes to go, they, it, there was nil-nil. They threw him up front, basically. And he, he, he dragged them through that match and a subsequent match as well, I think. I think with Aguero, you, you've got obviously scoring that goal. You know, he stayed on his feet. He scored that goal. They win the first title for, you know, they win the first title, you know, simple as that. And then he's just done it season after season. He very rarely has a bad game. I do think he's underappreciated. He's never won the PFA no. player of the again, year. Again, because I think he just, score, he just scores goals. And again, because he doesn't really speak English or we don't hear him speak English, he doesn't really do interviews. And again, I think, you know, PFA and Sports Personality of the Year and all this is, you, you know, you've it's got a PR to, campaign. Well, well, yeah, you've got to be out there. You know, we don't really know anything about Sergio Aguero. He just is very, very good at what he does. And I think where Trevor's looking at is, is longevity in that, to do what he's done over many, many seasons, time and time again, and reinvented himself when Pep Guardiola came in because everyone said, well, he doesn't play Pep's way. And everyone was thinking, well, he could get moved on here. You know, he, he could be moved out of the football club. And he went, well, no, that and he changed his way of playing. Of El Gato Negro in uh, King Street in Manchester, isn't it? That, that, that restaurant where they sit there and... They're chatting over a tapas, and everyone thinks that. that don't that, tell me that they've. Is, don't tell me they've got salt and pepper pots and a vinegar that, pot on the table. That, that, <laughs> yeah, at the moment that they're having sort of some sort of divorce, and they, not, not that they, not that there would be a vinegar pot in an Italian restaurant just for anyone. No, 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 no. It's probably more like um, a little bit. It's not, it's not an Italian restaurant. El Gato Negro is the uh, is a Spanish tapas restaurant. Okay, uh, yeah. same, it's probably, thing, same, same thing. It's all foreign to me. <laughs> it's probably got uh, some jamon and uh, a little bit of maybe uh, what are those little uh, those peppers, padron peppers. Yeah, he's using them to sort of de- identify his technical um, de- development of Sergio Aguero. And that's not where they divorce. It's actually where they agree how Aguero is going to play in the future. And actually, it's been brilliant for both of them up until this point. But I think it's, right. I think it's, it's sad for City that it's looked like injuries have got the better of him. Yeah. You know, and yeah. he can't, he clearly can't play and can't sustain it at the moment. His contract's coming to an end. And I just think, sadly for, for him and, and Manchester City, it's maybe time that he, he's going to move on because City cannot, you know, four starts in the Premier League this season. You know, it can't, City can't rely on that next year because I don't think that injury is going to get any better by the looks of it. Manchester United, West Ham, Leicester, Sheffield United and Leeds, Chelsea to come. Let's start with Manchester United against West Ham. It wasn't the most impressive game, but this win takes them on to not an unassailable position, but it will go a long way into giving them confidence that they will soon cement Champions League football next season, Crook. It's been a huge week um, in domestic terms. That win against uh, Manchester City uh, was a massive statement result, an unexpected win. I think we all felt they would lose that game and then suddenly the chasing pack would really be breathing down their necks. They, they kept that daylight and cemented it with a clean sheet. An ugly win, if you like, against West Ham. I was disappointed with West Ham. I thought that their performance was very similar to when they went to United in the FA Cup and Everybody believed they could pull off an upset and they didn't really lay glove on them. It was the same in this league game. And, and when they played Liverpool as well. Exactly. Um, so like Jose Mourinho, really, I think what we're learning is that David Moyes naturally is a, is a pragmatic manager, a cautious but, but manager. In, in, that, in, in that, Alex, I think you have to say, look at the player for player, look at the quality of players you've got. And you have but to, they did well, Danny, against Manchester well, yeah, they, City. They don't want, but you look at it and you go, player for player, you go and try and outplay Manchester United, you're going to struggle. You know, because their players, their players are better. They, they've got better attacking players. They've got more attacking talent in that squad. You know, West Ham are—they are what they are. You know, they're not—they're not prolific scorers. You know, they don't really create loads and loads of chances. They haven't done all season. So you know, they've—they're punching well above their weight. Realistically, I agree. You know, West Ham, Manchester United. If you'd have got a draw there, David Moyes has been ecstatic yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, they, they, they've conceded late goals, haven't they, Manchester United, against Milan and, and against Everton recently. Were you a little bit nervous towards the end that well, another late goal was coming? Not particularly. Um, it, it didn't feel that way. I, I always felt they kept West Ham at arm's length, but we'll see how costly that late goal against Milan is when they play the second leg. I think that'll be live on, on Talk Sport on Thursday. And then they've got Leicester, of course, um, in the FA Cup quarterfinals. That will definitely be live on Talk Sport. And it's Huge a massive week. week for Manchester United because... They're favourites to finish second 
in the Premier League. I think they pretty much cemented top four now. That was the minimum ask at the start of the season. Now it's about something tangible, something to show for their efforts, something to put in the trophy cabinet. And they have an opportunity in the Europa League and the FA Cup. And I think only then will Ole Gunnar Solskjaer have made it and proved himself. As a fullback who has represented his country at a uh, international major tournament, which England did very well at, or, or could have won maybe on a different day, uh, Luke Shaw, man of the match in this game. He hasn't played for England since 2018, Danny. Is it a big leap to suggest that he will be England's starting left back at the Euros? No, I don't think it is. Uh, I think he's, he's having a good season. You know, he, he's starting to get consistency week in, week out. He's obviously... You know, a run of games, which he's never really had before. You know, he's played three or four good games and he's had an injury or he's picked up something or he's been left out and, you know, picked up another little niggle, missed another game. So that consistency level is there for him at the moment. And you have to say, where's the, what's the competition at left back? Chilwell isn't ripping up trees. You know, it's, it's not like it's not like you're going, oh, Chilwell's, bit, Chilwell's he's outstanding. He's not even playing every week, is Well, it? exactly. So, it's, you, so who else do you play? He is the best left back in the best form at the moment, you know? So, you know, I think, you know, and, and he's been in and around squads and he knows, you know, he knows the England setup very, very well. Yes, I expect him to be in these next squads. Uh, and if he puts in a, a couple of decent performances, I think that, unless something goes horribly wrong between now and the end of the season, I think that nails down his, his starting place. He likes Matt Target though, doesn't he? As well, Gareth Southgate. And I think there's a possibility that he'll be called up um, in this latest squad. And you, and you do wonder, no, is not, there not, enough... Not, an, not enough experience, Alex, if I'm honest. Um, no, I probably agree with you, but we know that yeah. Gareth Southgate likes to look to the future. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and I think ask. He, he, might, he, might bring in, he might bring him into the squads for, for these ones, you know, bearing in mind everything that's going on and, and whatever There's it is. There's three games. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so he might bring him into the squad, but to throw a player into a Euro Championships with no international experience is mentally very, very difficult because the, pre- the, the pressures of, of going from Championship to, to Premier League, let's say, is, is one step. To go from Premier League to playing for England in a Championship is 10 steps. It's miles apart. The media scrutiny that you have to deal with, walking into that dressing room, that changing room, that coach, that dining room for the first time, affects a lot of different players in different ways mentally. It's, it's hard to deal with. You know, there's so much pressure that you feel just by it from yourself, walking into a room and you're looking around and going, oh, these are all superstars, you know, and, and every single one of these is a FIFA top card, whatever they are. I don't know what they are, whatever these days. And all of a sudden it's like, and so there's that pressure and you never quite know how a player is going to deal with that. So uh, to bring somebody new in, to throw them in into the Euro Championships, I think is very unlikely. Bit of breaking news in the last 10 minutes. It's been confirmed that Chris Wilder is to be unveiled as the new Sheffield United manager. Delighted to you know, accept the opportunity and the invitation to, to lead this great club. Sheffield United 4, Hull City 1. The Blades back up to second place after a four-goal second half. In an era where a lot of managers' jobs are given out on glittering playing careers, I've, I've managed the hard way and managed in every different circumstances. Let the party start! Sheffield United surely now going back to the big time. McGoldrick reacts and smashes the ball home and all three points are going to Sheffield United and Chelsea's Champions League hopes are falling apart at Bramall Lane. He could manage anywhere, Jane, couldn't he? Yeah. I love listening to him. Yeah. He, talks, he talks common sense, he tells it as it is. He looks, he's a great lad, the players, he knows the game, the players love playing for him. A whip ball in, Bamford with a downward header, and Patrick Bamford has done it! It's Sheffield United nil, Leeds United what? Sheffield United are now without a win in 11 matches, and are rock bottom of the Premier League. Are you going to be at Sheffield United next season? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And he blows the final whistle! And it could be a defining victory for Fulham. It could be a defining defeat for Sheffield United. Some breaking news. Chris Wilder has been sacked as the manager of Sheffield United. For whatever reason, it happened this weekend that uh, Sheffield United replaced Chris Wilder. They were beaten 5-0 by Leicester City on Sunday. Uh, Kalichi, Ahianach and Vardy in particular destroying Sheffield United, enhancing their place in the top four, but ending a rather torturous week for the Blades, who 
Uh, parted company with Chris Wilder this week, replaced him with Paul Heckingbottom and Jason Tyndall. Difficult to lay the blame at their door, but it's not a great start. They never lost by more than three goals under Chris Wilder, and they conceded five. It was ironic, wasn't it, that 24 hours after the podcast was released, where we were talking about the fact that Chris Wilder probably wouldn't be manager uh, come the end of the season. If we get the tip off on Friday morning, actually, he won't be manager by the end of the weekend. It all seemed to escalate very quickly. Although, actually, having got that information on Friday morning, it took until Saturday evening for, for Sheffield United to actually formally announce his departure. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because clearly he hasn't lost the dressing room. What he's lost is the boardroom, Chris Wilder. There's been a big problem between him and the owner for a while now that was never really going to be reconcilable. But I think you saw from the players, arguably they were playing for Chris Wilder. The fact they concede five goals uh, for the first time since Chris Wilder was a Sheffield United player in the top flight suggests that maybe that's a bit of a silent protest to the board because they've got rid of a manager they had an awful lot of respect for. And I think what we should say is that Paul Heckingbottom, who is going to be the, the number one, Jason Tindall starts work on Monday. He was watching from the stand in an assistant role, same as Alan Neal, who stayed on. He's on a hiding to nothing, Heckingbottom, because he's probably got no chance of keeping the job long-term. The fans don't want him there. The players are still mourning for Chris Wilder they might not get another point between now and the end of the season and that will be on his CV. But in many ways, it won't be his fault. Um, the statement from Sheffield United basically says, and I am paraphrasing here, we've got no money. We ain't buying any players. We're going to become a little mid-table championship club and this is the cheapest way to do it. Like you say, Jason Tindall and Paul Heckingbottom aren't bad guys, but you would have thought that if they were intent on... I don't know, you should ask, ask Leeds fans. <laughs> if you're intent on replacing Chris Wilder or knew it was a possibility at Christmas, as everybody seems to, to suggest that they did and he did, you would have thought they would have come up with a better transition than this, wouldn't you, Danny? They, they should have done. Uh, I, th I think, go back to sort of, you know, where Chris Wilder started at Sheffield United, you know, when he was, you know, in League One, when he would have been managing the team, driving the bus, involved in washing the kit, you know, that, I'm, I'm, again, exaggerating, but that he would have been all-encompassing of the club at that time. You know, he wouldn't have had analysts. He wouldn't have had fitness staff. He wouldn't have had, you know, coaches doing this, that and the other. Suddenly, as you go through the championship, you get better. And of course, then you get into the Premier League and you start doing well. So there's an influx of staff everywhere. And you start to lose a little bit of control along the way. And clearly, he's got them into that position, you know, because he's controlled every single detail of that football club. You know, no matter what, you know, transfers down to him, you know, scouting reports down to him, you know, looking at the opposition tactics all down to him. Suddenly he's got a raft of other information. That information then gets, goes up the chain towards the, the directors, towards the board. And then you have a couple of bad signings that don't really work out for you. People start to go, hang on a minute, we've just given this guy some money. He's not spent it very, very well. And now results are going against this. And, and suddenly it spirals out of control very, very quickly. And although I can, you know, you can say, well, you know, is he the best person to get them back into the Premier League um, if when they go down? Possibly he is. But equally, the board must be looking and going, hang on a minute, you were great last year. And now for whatever reason, you've lost your mojo. The team have lost their mojo and you've been awful. You are the second worst team in Premier League history. You know, and, and that's, that's, that's going to be a fact. You know, they, I'm gutted they got more than 11 points. I was part of that Derby team. But, you know, it, it's, it's what it is. You know, they, they've been awful, having you know, been great last season. And, and as a board, you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. How can you go from so great to so bad? Something serious must be wrong. Yeah, but but, but isn't that. the actual question, not how did you go from so great to so bad, is that, blimey, how on earth did you get this group of players into that position that they were in at the end of last season in the first place. I mean, well, Burnley, Charlotte, Burnley have done it. Sure, well, they haven't. They haven't knocked on the door of Europe like they have. Uh, well, they they have, but they've, not, they've not knocked on the door. They've walked through it. They've walked through it, Sam. Not in their first season back. Well, no, not the in their Premier first League no, after but, 15, 16 But if years you away. if you look at, if you look at the same group, the Reading quality, did the same thing, didn't they? Yeah, Maybe if you look at the same, the same group of players, the quality of players in that Burnley squad that got into Europe as, as Sheffield United, similar. I bet the wages are similar, you know, when, when you work it out across it. Not, so it's, it can be done. But to plummet that badly and not even, not even be in the so race. So you think it's the right decision, do you? I, you have to look at, I think as... Because the fan devil, base don't. No, but the owners, if you're an owner and your business is just crashed, you're going, 
this guy's had a terrible year. Why, how's he, why is he going to write it? What's he going to do differently? We gave him money. He bought two of the worst strikers we've ever seen. No, I can't score. Couldn't hit a barn door. So what, do we trust him? If he doesn't accept the fact that he needs help in this situation, you have to say, well, hang on a minute, mate. You know, you've been rubbish this year. We want to help you. We want to help you with recruitment. If you're saying no, I'm not sure we can work with that because you have to work together as a team. And, he, and he's clearly proud. He's pretty stubborn. And he's done a fantastic job. But you've got to change. You've got to evolve. You've got to be a team player. And you've got to accept help. He'll get another job, though, Crook, won't he? I was going to say, it's always difficult to feel too much sympathy for a departing Premier League manager because the reason this went on for so long from Friday morning when effectively he left the club to Saturday tea time was because they were negotiating a payoff. And as you say, that started with the LMA long before that. So listen, there's a few extra pounds in his bank account um, this morning. And Chris Wilder is now seen as a Premier League manager. Uh, he will get a Premier League job probably at the start of next season when, when somebody is struggling. Chris Wilder will come in there. And, and technically, he hasn't taken them down. That's right. <laughs> That's very true. So he'll, he'll be like, he's, he's never he's been relegated never, from the exactly. Premier League. There you go. That'll be on his CV. <laughs> I wonder if Newcastle, if, if they somehow survive and, and part company with Steve Bruce, might be, might be a good fit for Chris yeah. Wilder. Yeah, yeah it's definitely. I, I think Celtic are linked. He's the favourite for the Celtic job at the moment. He's undoubtedly good, but it, obviously he's got certain ways. And, but in this day and age, you've got to I think you've got to work with a sporting director. You're, you're going to like him a lot better when he's not at Sheffield United, aren't you? No, no. He's done, I think he's done a fantastic job. But you've got you've got to work with a sporting director. You've got to work with recruitment. And as I said, you know, coming from coming from where what he did with having a very small group of players doing every single job at the football club, knowing it inside out, and gro- mm. you know, along that journey. When you get into the Premier League, it changes. Okay, quick word on uh, Ejia Nacho scored a hat-trick in this game. They won by five goals. We have hardly mentioned it, but Leicester were very good. Ejia Nacho, one particular hat-trick goal was absolutely brilliant. Um, Hat-trick today, six goals in his last eight games, all important goals. Crook on the boot room uh, started uh, on Jamie Vardy and saying that he's only scored one goal in about 100 years or something like that, but he failed to mention uh, whilst criticising Jamie Vardy, just how brilliant Vardy's assists were for uh, uh, Nacho, uh on Sunday <laughs> afternoon. I thought it was brilliant. Um, he did a really good job for the team. And that, you know, if you're not scoring goals yourself and you're making them for somebody else, I mean, that's a great facet, uh, the way they've adapted. He's adapted his game. I love how pointing out a fact that Jamie Vardy has one goal in 15 games is suddenly <laughs> criticism. What I said was... <laughs> It's a good sign for Leicester and for Brendan Rodgers that Jamie Vardy isn't scoring and they're still winning games and that finally uh, Ian Acho has stepped up to the plate. And what I also said was, we, we spoke to Mark Albrighton earlier in the programme and he was talking about their famous team spirit and the fancy dress nights out and that when Harry Maguire uh, joined the club, uh, joined their WhatsApp group, that the message to him was, welcome to the best pub team uh, in the Premier League. And that team spirit, I think, was there for all to see when Ian Acho walked back in the dressing room and the re- reaction he got from his teammates. Clearly, they're a popular figure. Clearly, someone they're desperate to see succeed. Yeah. And I think that unity is a big part of Leicester's strength. But I also said in the boot room, because you're picking out me for being Mr. Nasty, I was actually Mr. Nice. I said that if Leicester qualify for the Champions League, and I think they will now, then Brendan Rodgers has to be in the conversation for Manager of the Year. Yeah, you did say that. You did say that. You, that was very nice of you. Anything else nice to say about uh, Leicester, Sheffield United? Well, I'll let Danny, the original Mr. Leicester, no, no, come no, in and be nice No, 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 no. Let's move on uh, to another favourite subject of Danny's. Leeds United nil, Chelsea nil. This wasn't great. Trevor Sinclair is alongside me as we get off and underway here on game day. Bamford has been played through. Lovely ball by Rafinha into the penalty area. one-on-one with the goalkeeper. He sends it square and Tyler Roberts scores. Offside flag goes up. Kai Havertz onto Pudisic. Oh, it's ricocheted onto the crossbar after an attempted clearance. Roberts towards the far post, hits the underside of the crossbar and just about comes out. What an opportunity for Leeds United. Mendy was scurrying back into his goal. Couldn't get there, come off the bar, and he's quite fortunate it didn't ricochet back off him into the goal. Chelsea coming forward with Havertz inside the penalty area, sweeping it goalwards first time into the chest of Melier. Havertz is on the edge of the D, takes a step wide. He's got loads of space here, right-footed shot, down the middle of the goal, pushed over the top by Melier. In towards Rafinha. What a wonderful save from Mendy, going one way, then the other, and managing to finger the ball clear. Rudiger and then back to Hudson-Odoi, who weaves 
his way into the box. Right-footed shot, saved down low Excellent by Melier. Excellent play from Hassan Rodol. We've seen him do that as a youth player. It's finished. At Ellen Road, Leeds United nil, Chelsea nil. Not from Chelsea, anyway. Uh, because they dominated the ball but created little. Tyler Roberts and Rafinha had top chances that on another day would have changed this match. They do play this man-to-man style, Danny, that absolutely unsettles everyone. And I spoke to Tyler straight after the game and I said to him, were you surprised that you went toe-to-toe with Chelsea? And he went, no, we know we can go toe-to-toe with absolutely anyone. And that's what they do. Um, It's a very unusual way of doing things it's very much like a training session you know where it's you can only tackle one man you know that that's all you can do and when it works it's brilliant when it goes wrong you can get beat four or five you know it can fall apart very very quickly and that leads to the first team to come up from the championship i've said this many times where when they don't win people are going oh leeds didn't win so hang on a minute you've it's the, they've, they've only just come up. I thought this was a great point for them. <laughs> but yeah, it is. But why is there such huge... People are like, oh, Le- Leeds only drew with Chelsea at home. So hang on a minute. That's actually a... You know, when you look at the sort of disparity in, in wages and quality of players, that's a fantastic result. Really but because, good result. But because of Leeds and the way that they play, it's almost like people expect them to win every single week. And, and that's just not going to happen. Uh, it was a really good result for Leeds United. I think the wind, the rain, the pitch all contributed to... a poor game for Chelsea I think it was a bad point for Chelsea I think you know that they they would be looking at this game thinking they should be getting three points but do you not think Chelsea went there and were a bit concerned because you know they've seen what Leeds have done well to to them yes games previously they've seen what they've done to Manchester City done to Liverpool all these and and he clearly went there and he he played the false nine just thinking well actually I've got to sort of try and match up with Leeds because if not they're just gonna they're going to do what they do and it's going to cause us problems. I, I'm not sure it was a false nine. It was almost just like not a nine. It was almost like a fake nine because Kai Havertz <laughs> really didn't have much to do in, in the game at all. He's clearly not having Giroud. He's clearly not having Abraham who is injured now, but I understand wasn't injured for the first two games. Um, Tuchel was not sold on him at all. It'd be interesting to see what happens with him in the summer. Ziyech has been incredibly sulky. Um, he was replaced on Saturday, not happy about it. But let's be clear, he hasn't done anything. So, I mean, there's no surprise that he was replaced. I mean, he was pretty anonymous for much of that match, group. Yeah, I think we have to at least point out that, that Leeds are notoriously difficult to score against, um, said nobody ever. So, so I, th- <laughs> I think you're right. I think it is a bad point for Chelsea. Um, especially with, with, with the Bamford situation. That would have been a game that they would have expected to win. And it seems ridiculous when they spent so much money last summer. But based on what you've just said there, Giroud possibly not part of Tuchel's long-term plans, not sold on on Abraham and, and, and other players, maybe playing for their future. Pulisic has, has talked about the fact that maybe he wants to get away. This is going to be another massive summer for Chelsea and they're going to have to get the checkbook out again because Thomas Tuchel inevitably is going to want to build his own team and and bring in his own players. But of course his contract is up at the end of next season. So long-term planning at Chelsea doesn't seem to be much of it at the moment. Well, if he's there, that is in the summer and that's not, he will be. Let's let's caveat (laughs) that with if he's there. Uh, because he, he, will, he will be there, Sam. Yeah, but I, I he's made the same start as Luis Felipe Scolari, unbeaten in his first 12 games. And the only two Chelsea managers to do that. And Scolari lasted seven months. Uh, so don't, don't get too excited. Uh, no. He certainly hasn't got his feet under the table just yet. Tammy Abraham has scored 21 non-penalty goals since the start of last season, which is uh, uh, scoring an average of, of once every 150 minutes. That's a better minutes per non-penalty goal record than Kane, Sterling... Salah, Mane, Aubameyang, Vardy, Son, Calvert-Lewin, Martial, Ings and Lacazette. Why don't they fancy him, Danny? Because most of them I'd probably play ahead of him. Because they're, they're just... You've got to look at the games that it's been done in. Uh, the, the, the timing of those, those goals, the importance of those goals. There's all those types of things. You know, when you say he's got a better scoring record than Harry Kane, irrelevant in, in my opinion. Harry's, you know, the big games, Harry Kane gets one chance he scores. Simple as that. You know, uh, Abraham doesn't. I just think that Chelsea now, they've, they've brought a new manager in. You know, he's, he's looking at all these players. Chelsea have got a jigsaw puzzle in the front four positions and none of the pieces quite fit together yet. And they're just trying to work it out. You know, you've almost brought in too many 
And I think what's happening now is he's trying to look at as many players as possible to work out who he needs. And when you talk about a clear or having to spend a load of money, probably not. They might get rid of two or three and they might yeah, just bring in one. That. Yeah, I think, they'll, I, think they'll, I think they'll try to bring in one. I and, think and I, I think, know the player they're going to try to bring in. And, and um, that, that might be the difference. If you get, you know, one player and then actually the other two wide of that or mount behind it all suddenly fit together, then it works. It, it's just at the moment, it's a little bit scattergun. You know, none of the players, none of the players are thriving off each other. Sounds like Chelsea's recruitment policy over the last few years, doesn't it? I mean, that one that they, I think they're going to put everything into is the one that everybody wants. There's no guarantee that you're going to get Erling Haaland, though, is there? Haaland. No, I do have a bit of information on that. Um, Clearly, already it's come out in Germany. There's only half a dozen clubs that, that he would contemplate joining the two Manchester clubs and Chelsea certainly in there. From what I'm told, Manchester City, very keen to sign Erling Haaland. And you have to say, if they get him, what a replacement for Aguero. And you, he, you can... he, scores, he scores 30 goals plus a season at Man City. But he yeah. can ask whatever he wants, can't he, wages? Well, no, well, and, and Manchester <laughs> City don't necessarily pay the same sort of level of wages. Yeah, as, but not but even so. just the wages. Sorry, Danny, but I'm told that Manchester City will not get drawn into a bidding war. They'll make an offer. If it's projected and other clubs gazump them, they will walk away. And Chelsea and Manchester United are stupid enough to get involved in a bidding war, aren't they? Because we've well, seen it before. But ha- Haaland's been fantastic. And, and the way that he's built his career so far, he's obviously got this buyout clause, not this summer, the season after. Where, what is it, 60 million? Hmm. And, and suddenly then he'll have lots of suitors. No he, one's going to wait that long. Well, no, but, and this is the, you know, but, but he might. He might turn around and say, actually, I'm, if Dortmund make to the Champions League again, he might turn around and say, you know what, I want another, another, another season at Dortmund. I'm happy here. I'm scoring goals. Why not? Because then at 60 million, next year, he's going to have an even bigger bidding war because those wages are going to go through the roof because he's not, going to, he's not going to suddenly stop scoring next year, is he? He's still going to be, even if he was injured for three or four months, everybody's still going to want him. And at 60 million, that's one hell of a bargain. Southampton-Brighton on Sunday ended in a victory for Graham Potter's team. Uh, it was the first time that uh, Brighton had scored more than once in a Premier League game in 11 matches. Um, look, it doesn't guarantee safety. It doesn't mean that they're going to be Premier League, uh, uh, a Premier League team next year. But it, it's a it's a big result, I think, uh, Crook for Graham Potter. I described it in commentary as a season-defining result, and I believe that um, because th- they needed it. <laughs> if any team needed a victory in the in the Premier League, it was Brighton. They were on a on a poor run, as you say, not not scoring goals, creating chances, not winning. I think psychologically that will be a massive boost now just to put that daylight between them and Fulham. They've got Newcastle at home. I'm there for TalkSport 2 next Saturday. That'll be the commentary game at 8 o'clock. And if they can win that one, and I would make them favourites to do so, then safety will be tantalisingly close. And um... how, how many points, guys, do you think is going to be enough to stay up? Because at the start, early on, you know, Christmas time, everyone's going, oh, it might be the lowest, it might be 32. Yeah. Might keep you up. You know, you might be... No chance. I'm still looking at it, and it's still going to be 36, 37, I think 38. 36. It, I would say uh, it's usually it's usually 34, 35. So I, I will say if you get 35 points, you'll be but, safe. But, so Southampton, Burnley, eight, nine games to go. They've only got to win one. Yeah. Yep. Well, they, I, I think they'll both do that for what, Agreed. you know, you know, they'll, they'll get that. Brighton, you know, I've only got to win two, two. to get to that, you know. So who goes down? Newcastle. But, I mean, they've got 10 games left. Do we not think they're going to win two of their last 10? Well, they won two of their last 10. <laughs> no, but they've got, they've got 10, yeah, but they've got, you know, strange things happen at the end of the season. It's, if it's Brighton a, beat them next weekend, we're looking at a lot the of international break. Yeah, we're looking at a lot of games where we're just expecting downer. them to get beat every single week and pick up no points. Well, they haven't. They picked up a point every week for the last three weeks, but not in particularly great circumstances. They're not in good form, Newcastle. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, well, they no, played Aston Villa at the bottom. They, yeah, they played Aston Villa this week. They drew one-one, but it was it was a terrible game. Thrilling finish. Two goals in the last few minutes. I, whether it's a good point for Newcastle, well, it is a good point for Newcastle because they're one-nil down at the time. So getting a goal back in the last few seconds, it really helps. But whether I, I, I never was worried about Brian. You 
Crook will back me up on this because of expected goals and the fact their goal difference is minus seven. You know, if you, if you, if you look at their output, eventually they are going to get enough points to stay in the league. But Newcastle, everything about them just smacks bleh. I mentioned about the psychological impact of results. And I think psychologically, the, the equaliser that Newcastle scored on, on Friday night when it looked like they'd lost the game right at the end to then go back at the other end and, and get an equaliser, that, that will be a big boost for them. And, and I agree with Danny. I think they might just win enough games and it might still end up being Fulham. Uh, with Brighton, the key to their success and, and their key to the way they played against Leicester, certainly for the first half, Adam Lallana. Uh, yeah. Absolutely sensational again against. I his also old club. thought that they changed the formation in the second half, and it was just a, a few little tactical tweaks from Potter really did the trick. Potter working magic. Yeah, Trossard going centrally. I thought his goal was excellent. He took his goal really well, and it was well worked goal as well. Yeah, needs to score more Trossard. I mean, you could say that about every Brighton attacking player, but there's there's bags of talent there. Just, just a shortage of, of end product, but they did defend well. I like Joel Veltman. Nine hundred thousand pound they pay for Joel Veltman. What do you get for nine hundred thousand pound in the he's Premier League? He's playing the World Cup for, for Holland. I mean, he's he's a good defender. He went to a World Cup semi final with Holland under Louis Van Gaal in two thousand and fourteen. Great recruitment and, and so, recruitment good, is, yeah. is so key, isn't it? And and, and... but Welbeck played well as well actually in that game. Yeah, they need him to stay fit. We've been saying that about Danny Welbeck for a long time. I, I think they'll be okay now, now Brighton. And, and they're a streaky team. Uh, before this recent run of defeats, they were actually on quite a, a decent run. So I, I expect them to beat Newcastle now and, and then they can breathe a bit easier. Southampton, Ooh, really alarming. 10 defeats in 12 since going top. Any movement or any indications about what might happen in the summer? No, I mean, I thought for a while now that if Ralph Arsenal could get out and, and, and get a a better job, a job with a board that are willing to back him, then I think he would do it. But if you're asking me, are they going to pull the trigger? Absolutely not. At this stage, he retains the backing from the board level. I think there's just some players that are underperforming, going through the motions and accepting defeat a bit too easily. And it was worrying the, the, the lack of confidence after Brighton scored that second goal and the lack of ideas, really. They just resorted to crossing balls into the area. Lewis Dunk headed them away for fun. Um, Danny, how difficult is it when you know that a club don't have any money and you're part of a dressing room which knows that the ambition has been sucked out of um, the club? Um, I look at Southampton and I think it's tough. Ralph, is, Ralph is who was a very, yeah. very good manager or has been a very good manager and showed great potential, but he hasn't been backed and now he's lost the will to live. He's not having the same impact as maybe he had beforehand. I mean, 10 defeats in 12 is... is doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you're answering to. Usually that results in the Premier League with a P45, doesn't it? It's very, very difficult to, to turn it around when it becomes a habit. And you have to think, you know, Southampton, you know, Ralph Arsenal is obviously a, a good coach, but you lose a game. You, you build up all week. You lose the game. You come in Monday. You think, right, OK, we did the right things. We'll do the same things again. You lose the game. You come back in again. But we were doing the right things. We lose a game. Hang on, this got us top of the league. So what has suddenly changed in that? And I think obviously when Danny Ings is out, often as, as defenders or midfield players, you're looking for a bit of inspiration. And you're thinking, right, you know what? If we keep it tight and we have a good game at the back and we do our job, then we just need one chance to fall to him. You know, and that's, and we had it, we, well, I had it in the, the Leeds team when we were struggling, uh, you know, towards the wrong end of the table. We had Kuehl and Viduka. And you're thinking, just stay in the game because one of them will get a chance. And if they get a chance, they put it away. Simple as that. And you're and you're sort of you're looking up, you know, the other end of the dressing room, you know, a sort of defensive player saying, that's our inspiration. Because with those players in the team, we've always got a chance of nicking one. You know, they've all they can turn it on at a moment's notice. And without Danny Ings in the side, where does that inspiration come from? And, and it's very, very difficult to, to get the players excited because you start thinking, well, look, even if we have a fantastic game, we keep a clean sheet, we're not really going to score. Yeah. And if we concede one, well, now we're doomed. And even you, with Danny Ings in the team, they weren't really scoring that many goals. Well, but, uh, but then you do get that sort of mentality of, oh, here we go again. We, we, we don't score two goals. So actually now we best chance we've got is, is a draw if we're lucky. And it's a very difficult mentality to try and shift that at times. Jay Adams has stepped up. Three goals in, yeah. in successive games for the first time in, in his Premier League career. He took his goal well as well. So uh, well, I, don't know. I, I, I think that's a slice. I think he sliced that. 
You are see, you are harsh. You you have taken my crown as the Simon Cowell he, of the game. It's not, it's not a, it's not a pure strike. But it's he, another Leeds thing, isn't it? It's because Chad <laughs> no, Chad Adams wasn't going to go to Leeds. He, he's not. He's year. not. He's not aiming for that to come off the outside of his foot and going at the near post. Well, uh, Lewis Dunk wasn't aiming it for it to come off the back of his head and straight to uh, Shay Adams either, but it did. Yeah, but as a striker in, in that position, he, that he, that was if you if he's honest. It wasn't a clean connection, and and and, and they're often they're the ones that go in. You know, when you strike it perfectly, you catch it with the laces. It hits the goalkeeper in the chest because you you know you, you're you're aiming for the goal. Very, there are very few players on the planet that can pick out a top corner from a volley. Doesn't does, often does, happen. Does that mean you didn't rate Wayne Rooney's overhead kick against Manchester City because that wasn't clean either? He doesn't know where that's going. You can't tell me. You, you can't tell me he means to do an overhead kick off his shin into the top corner. You're, you know, it's one of the goals, the best yeah, goal the Premier but, League has ever seen. But that's, but, today, but he doesn't. But he doesn't. He doesn't know. Yeah, no. He's not aiming for the top corner. He's aiming to get a good connection, hit the target. It's like when you get a volley from the edge of the box. You're not. There are, Paul Scholes was the only player that I ever saw would go right. I'm going to pick out a top corner. We, we you know, know what. We haven't had a nasty judge on Dancing on Ice for a couple of years since Jason Gardner <laughs> left. <laughs> but, but that's what. It, but but it's, free it's, on a it's Sunday. Yes, of course I am. But if if you just if if you're going to hit a volley from the outside of the box you're hoping to hit the target as hard as possible. If it flies in the top corner, it's a bonus. But very rarely are you aiming for the top corner. You're hoping to get a clean strike, hit the target. Okay, That's the most important thing. We've got to move on to two final games. Uh, we've sort of touched on Newcastle against Aston Villa, and I think we've given that about as much time as it deserves. Uh, Everton won Burnley 2 uh, was the full-time score at uh, tea time on Saturday. Jordan Pickford injured in this game. How much of a boost is that for Nick Pope's hopes of being England's number one at the Euros, do we think? Well, it's convenient. <laughs> yeah, not great. If I'm, you know, I just, uh, sorry, I, I just think Nick Pope is a very, very capable goalkeeper. But if you're going to ask him to play out, and, I, and I've defended him time and time again, but if you're asking him to play out from the back, he doesn't look comfortable. And, that, that's, and you've got to be able to do that, I think, the, the way that England play in internationals where you're going to dominate possession. You know I'm not a fan of Jordan Pickford. So, I mean, if, if Danny's saying that the Nick Pope's not England's number one and, and I don't rate Jordan Pickford, what are we going to do? Call up Aaron Ramsdale, who's letting goals for fun this season. I mean, I think it's a problem area for England. You're right, uh, Alex. Coming, they, they, it's both becoming got, a both, problem area for England. They've both because got Henderson, Hen, Henderson may end up finding himself as, the, as not only the Manchester United number one goalkeeper, but the England number one goalkeeper faster than expected. But I think, you know, Jordan Pickford's got an, emo, an emotional issue. Sometimes, you know, he's over-emotional at times, you know, and he makes mistakes sort of off the back of that. You know, he's, he's so fired up. You know, he's got back to Joe Hart, Iceland, in, in the, you know, in the tunnel, all that sort of thing. Yeah. That seems, that, that's Jordan Pickford's issue. He's a fantastic goalkeeper. He's a great shot stopper. His distribution is brilliant. But he suffers a little bit with decision-making at time and maybe those concentration. Nick Pope's the opposite. An end of the spectrum, you know, he's very, very safe. You know, he doesn't do rash things. He makes he, a lot he, of saves, but if you're a Burnley goalkeeper, you, you are going to, to yeah. make a lot more saves, aren't you? And and you're not going to have that many saves to make for England. So, in an England game, how many saves do you have to make, really? Three? Depends who you're playing. I mean, you know, they've got well, an international yeah. break coming up and he probably won't have to make a save until the third game. So, so the whole point is, the, the most important thing for, in those games is actually distribution and starting those attacks. And can you... Can you beat the first press? Can you get it over those players to break the lines early on? So I, I still think, and, and Jordan Pickford hasn't done anything wrong for England. I know he's had one or two wobbles for Everton, but he hasn't done anything wrong for England yet. So I still think if he's fit, he's still the number one. Emmy Martinez hasn't been capped for Argentina yet, has he? And has he not been in, in England long enough now to apply for citizenship? Should we start <laughs> that particular bandwagon rolling? Hold on, just texting Gareth. Can I think that's genuine, he has, actually. He has, he has played for Argentina, hasn't he? Not according to his Wikipedia, he's played for Argentina at under twenty level. I think, I think he's, he's been in squads. Argentina. He's been in squads. Unused, unused sub in two friendly matches. Uh, right, okay, so he's definitely been in the squad because he because um, he's talked Jack recently. Of, yeah, he, not, he, not yeah. convinced an Argentinian's going to jump ship and come and play for England. <laughs> I think you might be right. <laughs> no, uh, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to work out if he ever wants to go home ever Ge again. Geo geopolitics there. <laughs> Uh, Crook, not your strong point, maybe. Um, but anyway, um, Chris Wood on the score sheet again for a Burnley team that actually played very well, more open in this game. It was a good first half for them, actually. A bit more tepid in the second half. Um, they're safe now, Burnley, I would have thought. What does Sean Dyche do at the end of this season, Danny? 
It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because he, he, he does a fantastic job every single season. You know, he gets the t- he keeps the team in, in the league, punches well above their weight, you know, for, for what they are and for sort of the wages that they pay and the, and the recruitment policy that they have. But where could he go next? Yeah, that is now, a that, problem. And I think we're going to have the... a bit of a, a turnover this summer of, <clears throat> of coaches because I think you'll have a new coach at Crystal Palace. Newcastle. I think you'll have a new coach in Newcastle. Yeah, Sean, 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 Dyche, Sean Dyche would be perfect for Newcastle, but Newcastle fans will go, oh, we don't want him. Too defensive. But you know, again, it's give him slightly better players. You know, so that's, it's almost like someone has put a ceiling in place for Sean Dyche. You know, and he's not gonna he's not gonna get a team offered a team above mid table because it, for whatever reason that is. It's like when when the Everton job came up a few years back, never even got a phone call, and he he seemed perfect at that time. You know, to, to drop in to Everton, it's it's just like people say, "Oh no, Sean Dyche, ooh, relegation fodder." You know, it, it's a it's a tag that I don't think he will be able to lose. And I do have a bit of inside information, if you like. I've been told from. Um, a reliable source that both Sean Dyche and Eddie Howe have been spotted house hunting in the London area. Now, which London club is going to have a vacancy, I wonder? Tottenham? We've, we've said this for ages that uh, Crystal Palace uh, are looking for a, a new manager. And we, we, we've both spoken about Eddie Howe getting that job. Um, Sean so Dyche may be as well a contender. Possibly, possibly. I know that he was he's sort of been linked with it before, I think, uh, uh, at one stage. Um, let's talk about Crystal Palace. Uh, they beat uh, West Brom on Saturday. I think we can safely say now that West Brom aren't staying up and Palace aren't going down. Um, we talk a lot about Pet Crystal Palace and speculate about what might happen with them. We've done it again by talking about Eddie Howe. But what happens to West Brom next season? Well, they'll need a new manager as well. I would have thought I'd be surprised if, if, if Sam Allardyce stays on and, and tries Chris to lead Chris Wilder. Up. I think he'd see himself as a Premier League manager. I don't think he'd necessarily take a championship job, Chris Wilder, at this stage. He's not going to get a Premier League job. Well, we just said Newcastle could be a possibility. No, 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 no chance. Newcastle will not, will not go for Chris Wilder. They've got 14 points this season. You, you know, you're so anti Chris Wilder. Well, no, but after, why? But why, after doing why such why, a terrific why, job and getting manager, LMA manager of the year in the divisionals uh, yeah, for but the it, last but brought, three years, but apart had, from it, last year. He had Even those, then, I think he almost got it. But he had those players for three, four seasons working with he them just constantly. Maximized? And he's like a, hasn't he just wrung every ounce of talent out of basically League One players? Yeah, but he, he brought them on a journey and he'd improved them over time. And they had a, they had a certain way of playing that so shocked everybody. So what could he do with everybody. Newcastle's misfits? Surely he could drag yeah, but he, them but, up but the he, table. Yeah, but you've got to do. You're not going to get three years to be able to do that because if you have a bad season the first year, you're relegated. That's it. End of. If Mike Ashley's your boss, if he has to pay you off, you can get as long as. Contract, I, 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 I don't. I, I don't think you. When you, you know, they, they're not looking. I don't think they're looking at Chris Wilder. I, I think he'll struggle, unless unless it's somebody like Burner. I think next season he will struggle because of this season. It's damaged goods. You know, you, you can't you can't be that bad and then just expect to walk into another job. Wow. People will be going, oh, hang on, it. Why was he this bad? Why couldn't he? Why did the players stop playing in the way that they did before? What went wrong? Why didn't he change things? You know, it, one good season in the Premier League. That, that, that's what it was. He did okay. take them up from League One to and the, the but Premier this is, But this is my point. Alex. He brought them on a journey and he coached them over three or four seasons, getting better and better and better, improving them all the time, which is brilliant. But it took him a long time to do that. And he had total control. We've seen that his, actual, his recruitment in buying players isn't brilliant. You know, the players that he's brought in, None of them have really worked. This this season, I mean, you could argue that prior to that, he's done a very good job of identifying talent and bringing them into the club. Do you think Eddie Howe's damaged goods, Danny, as well, because he relegated Bournemouth? I think sometimes people need, I think it's too, sometimes it's too soon. Uh, And I think, you know, Eddie Howe's probably gone away and he's he's had that season out, you know, and it's right, okay, you know, you are where you are now and and people sort of move on from it. But to be the second worst team in the Premier League, and then suddenly think you're going to jump into a job 10 games later, I think it's a little bit over-ambitious. There's not too many teams would have been ringing him up, trying desperately to get him out of Sheffield United before he got sacked. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't add to your CV, does it? When you, know, when, when you get sacked and, and walk away and have a disagreement with the board. Okay, well, just do me a favour. If Chris Wilder calls you, don't press accept, because he's just <laughs> lost a job, and I don't want you giving him a pep talk. Um, right. Danny, he's got plenty you. of cash in the bank, son. Don't worry about that. He's okay. <laughs> uh, that's it from us. Thanks to Super Danny Mills. Um, 
super critical Danny Mills and Alex Crook who's been made to look like a uh, a soft little sheep this weekend um, we're back it's just, on it's just, a, it's just a cuddly teddy bear isn't he um, yeah he's been called that before actually actually by H from Steps this time last year um, one of my heroes for... one of my yeah. heroes uh, we are back uh, on Thursday afternoon as we look ahead to another big weekend in the best league in the world and the greatest cup competition ever made the FA Cup because of course this weekend is FA Cup quarterfinal weekend. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.